Hello, and welcome to the Green Profit Academy Pros Podcast. This show digs into the challenges in growing a lawn care and landscape business while maximizing your profit. I'm Christine Era. And I'm Steve Bousquet. We are the green industry experts in profit, growth, and leadership. Hello, Matt. Welcome to Green Profit Academy Pros Podcast. Steve, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to, uh, to be on here. So we have a special guest, uh, Matt Tebow, who owns Savant Marketing up in Canada, and he helps contractors build and grow their businesses in a really impactful way. And we're going to get into the marketing a little bit later, but one of the things I brought Matt on this sh- on this show for was to share his entrepreneurial journey. And whether you're doing marketing or lawn care or landscape or painting or any kind of contracting or any business for that matter, you know, there's always a certain amount of energy and uncertainty that surrounds it. And uh, so we're going to kind of unpack that for Matt. And uh, so he's going to be vulnerable. He's going to be sharing. And I really appreciate that. Let's get into it. All right, Matt. So what you're going to start a business, right? You started a business, but what led up to you saying that or that moment saying, hey, I want to go do this. I want to start mm. this business. Yeah, I mean, I think like any entrepreneur, like from a really young age, there were kind of like the warning signs of being an entrepreneur. Um, I'm actually the only entrepreneur in my family. Um, you know, I wasn't right. Like my dad wasn't an entrepreneur. I had no influence of that whatsoever. Um, but just growing up, you know, I was always starting like these little businesses, uh, maybe more of like a side hustle type thing. And I remember like my parents were always like a little bit concerned about it because they were always like, why don't you just go get a job and like do these things? Like, why are you always kind of, they would call it like kind of like scheming, you know, and doing these things. And uh, even I didn't really understand it, but I was kind of just like, oh, that's an opportunity. Like that'd be kind of fun to do that. It was just fun for me. Um, And that continued for like a, a while up until I would say I reached the point of when it, your your high school is up and it's kind of like decision making time now where it's like, hey, do you go to university? Are you going to go get a job? Like, what are you going to do? And my mom never went to university. And that was something that was really important to her education. So my parents both said, Matt, you're going to university and you're going to pay for it. And I was like, oh, OK, like, I guess I'm going to do this, you know. And so I went to university and I went to university for communications and media, which is kind of marketing, basically, because I always knew that I was interested in marketing to some degree. I just didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. So I went through school and during going through school, um, I was introduced to my dad's friend, Steve, and I never met a millionaire before. I never met an entrepreneur before. And um, my dad and I would go on these mountain bike trips and Steve was also a mountain biker. And so he introduced me to Steve. And that was the first time in my life that I was ever exposed to an entrepreneur where they just something about him was different, you know, just the way he thought. Um, Obviously, he had nice things. Um, And I remember like candidly at one moment when we were kind of talking, you know, we're sitting down or something. And I straight up just asked him, I said, what do you do? Like, what do you actually do for a living? And he was like, oh, I'm a marketing consultant. You know, I work with industrial type 
businesses and I help them grow and we do strategy and blah, blah, blah. And I remember just like when he told me that, I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, that sounds really cool. So I had the audacity where I just straight up asked him, I just said, can I work for you? Like, can I just, I want to be around you and just work for you. And uh, I pretty much told him, I said, I'll work for free. Like, I just want to learn from you and help you and just be like in that environment. So that's what I did. And that was kind of the start of my entrepreneurial journey, learning from a mentor and just being around his energy and learning. And, you know, he would, uh, he would show me courses and teach me about marketing and I would write ads and just, there was so much learning involved with it. But I think the best part was just being able to have a model of looking at and being like, Oh, like this is what an entrepreneur is. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of your first foray in that, you know, you had a successful uh, mentor right away to kind of uh, emulate and also immediately write in your kind of like niche, what you did, right? What you're, what you wanted to do, what you were attracted to doing, what you went to school for. Um, so I think it's very common. Interestingly, you know, I went to a university and one of the kind of main themes about the university was first generation college students. So most of the people, you know, I went way back in the 80s. So most of the people that were there, uh, they were the first people in their family to go to college. Um, wow. So, you know, it was either blue collar or, you know, middle management kids coming from that that background so you know i understand a lot of it was like different thinking like you know our parents could today parents like go to everything at the colleges and travel with the kids and back then it was like you know you drove yourself to college your parents didn't even see yeah. you there or they drove up and kind of like put your bags out the curb um so they wow. didn't they didn't know how it involved to be in college. And I don't think that was a thing then. So, you know, being the first generation college, right, it's a different mindset. And then um, my family was full of entrepreneurs. So small business people, even my grandfather had a store, my uncle painted, wow. my business, uncle had a tree business. And so I saw it all the time. So I was so excited. I thought I knew that's what I was going to be doing. But for you, it's a different journey. And your parents were probably going, you know, the, the scheming thing. Why are you trying to sell people stuff? Um, <laughs> and it was just kind of your creative creative lane. So you go to work for Steve. Love the name, by the way. And uh, so you work for him. You're learning and you're kind of growing as an individual and also professionally. So what was the day you said, I'm going to start my business on this day going forward? Yeah. Yeah. So basically what happened was, um, so I was working for Steve for free, but I had all of this school debt. So I was like, Hey, I need to pay this off as fast as possible. Because in that moment in time, I knew as soon as I can get freedom from this debt, then that's when I can start my business. Like that was kind of my thinking process. So, um, I was doing all this work for Steve and it was in construction. So I was like, why don't I just go get a job working as a marketer? marketer for a construction business. So that's what I did. I found a nine to five job. I was the only marketer uh, like on their team. And they had no idea what they wanted me to do. They just said, like, go do marketing. And so I was just kind of like left to my own devices. And so um, I kind of had this polarizing life, right? Like, on the weekends and in the evenings and stuff, I was doing some work for Steve. And then during the day, I was doing this nine to five job. And that only solidified basically in my mind that I want to be an entrepreneur because I was just seeing like everything that was kind of, well, I want to do things this way in this business. And like there, you couldn't fix anything, you know, you're kind of just like told what to do. Whereas with Steve, we were thinking creatively and, 
you know, it was so much learning and blah, blah, blah. So um, finally, I reached the point where I remember on my computer doing like the last kind of transfer of the debt. It actually took me only about um, seven months, I think, wow. to pay it all off because I was living at home. I had no expenses. So I paid it all off. And I remember as soon as it was paid off, I was like, I'm done. I'm good to go. And I think it was September 1st of 2016 was when I put in like my official um, resignation, you know, to my job. And that was kind of the beginning of it all. And I remember, you know, you read all these stories in these books of like, I quit my job, you know, and then like a year later, I was a millionaire. Um, that was not the case for me. So <laughs> I quit my job and uh, I was expecting things to lift off a lot faster um, than I thought, you know. So I asked Steve, I said, you know, what would be the best kind of business to do? Because like, I know I want to do marketing, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, you should start an agency because if you start an agency, you can do all the stuff that we're doing. You can hire people, you can create systems and you can do it for the construction uh, industry. So that's what I went out to do. And quite frankly, um, my first year was just absolutely terrible. Um, I think I was doing like cold calls. I was trying like 20, 30 cold calls a day, which honestly is not that much. But for me, just starting, I had no idea about sales. Um, didn't really have much of a sales background even. Um, just had a passion for marketing and found it enjoyable. And the worst part about it was that I couldn't really go to Steve and ask him for advice anymore because... Once I started my business, he kind of went off on another business and he was kind of like, I don't really have like a lot of time for you anymore. Like I'm doing this other thing. So I was kind of left to my own devices. Um, and so that was kind of when that mentorship ended and I was forced to just kind of go out and do things on my own. And so quite frankly, the first three years for me was a lot of that was a lot of you know, cold calling. Um, I remember doing walk-ins to just random storefronts of businesses and just being like, hey, like, what are you doing right now for your marketing? I'll show you right now, like what you could do. And, you know, and, and it had some successes, but I would say probably about 80% of failure. Um, and during that three years was a really um, like dark time because there's this contrast of trying to be perceived as being professional and successful. And, you know, you want to people to believe in you and blah, blah, blah. But then I'm living at home. You know, I didn't really have any money. Like you're still trying to figure everything out. And so I would say the first, you know, three years for me was really like trying to get that altitude and I would get a little bit of success and then it would fall down. And then I would try again and get a little bit of success and then fall down. So it was very much, um, it felt like, you know, just up and down, up and down, up and down for quite a while. Yeah, it's that nonlinear dynamic chaos, right? It's not a straight line or the graph doesn't go, you know, this percentage, perfectly percentage growth every year. So thank you for sharing that, because one of the things I think a lot of people have this perception of, you know, the day you start your business, you're instantly a millionaire and you're, um, you know, you know, all the answers and you're pretty infallible and everything, but it's really just starting on the journey of vulnerability and learning things that we never even thought could happen or were possible. And so, you know, your first three years were kind of a, 
tough period. It's interesting because we just had a guest on recently, Steve White from Second Nature Lawn Care, and he also shared that those first three years were really the most difficult time. And I have a a thing I call the thousand day theory. So most things take about a thousand days from when we start them to where they really start to pick up momentum. Mm. Where they're implemented, we adjust it, we get it dialed in. It's about a thousand days. Um, And, you know, I have case after case where that seems to be true. And that's about three years. It's three years a little more than than that. But that thousand days is about what it takes. So, you know, just giving us a little bit of grace and a little bit of time to develop ourselves. And, you know, you probably thought one thing and then something else happened. And these people are going to be so excited. I can help them grow their business. (laughs) They're not excited. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, So what were like, what was a one or two main takeaways from those first three years that you would share? I would say the first like main takeaway through those, um, those first couple of years was just like, even though I was failing a lot, every time I would fail, I would make a mental note and be like, okay, that doesn't work. And I'd be like, not doing that again. You know, and then like, I would try something else that doesn't work. Kind of like um, Thomas, uh, I think it was like Thomas Edison or whatever, found a thousand ways that it didn't work. It was kind of that, you know, right? where I was like, okay, like, if I say this in a cold call, people are going to be a little bit more interested. But if I say, hey, like I'm a marketing company, then they're going to not be so interested, you know? So I would lead with the value and say, hey, like we can, you know, like what kind of jobs or something are you looking for? Like I just figured out how to lead with value and then I'd be like, okay, that works, this doesn't work. And it took way longer than I thought. But I would say the first thing was just kind of realizing what doesn't work. Okay, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that doesn't work and just crossing it off the list. And then the second thing I would say what I really learned um, is that people appreciate when you're just vulnerable and you're not trying to fake it, like, mm-hmm. especially in the beginning. So what I realized, what really learned is if I was just brutally honest with people and I would just say, listen, like I'm a new company, but that's actually an advantage to you because if you're like my only client or bigger client that I have, I'm going to put all of my energy into, you. you know, anytime you call, I'll pick up, blah, blah, blah. And so that was kind of what I led with, with a little bit more vulnerability of being honest and being like, this is where I'm at, but I know I can help you. And I think that was like where people really appreciated the honesty or they were like, wow, like, okay, like at least he's being straight up. Yeah, that's some good shares, Uh, you know, being authentic and honest about what you know, what you can do, what you can provide. And, um, you know, not doing learning like, hey, that didn't work. Hey, this works. Not let's not do that again. One of the things that I keep hearing is um, it took longer than you thought. It took longer than I thought. And that is very common to entrepreneurs and uh, business people. You know, we want things to happen much quicker. And we, I kind of call it my runway. You know, even when I share stuff with my team, my runway is very short. And uh, in my thinking like, Oh, this shouldn't take too long. But in reality, it's a runway plus a couple bridges and another runway. Um, because I'm just picturing the beginning and the outcome that I want. I kind of miss all of the minutia in between all the steps. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting that that's so common. So if you're listening to this and things aren't happening as fast as you want them, just realize that's the deal. You know, everything takes longer than we, we wanted or thought it was going to take just, and it's supposed to, because, you know, think of all the things that you learned over those three years. If, if it had happened really quick and easily, 
you know, what, what, what would you have missed? Right. Um, what lessons would you have lost? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can't remember who, who it was who told me somewhere along that journey, but they told me, they said, Matt, just commit to 10 years in your business. Core Growth Strategies provides business growth management solutions through cloud accounting, bookkeeping, and strategic business consulting programs. Our team works with small businesses in lawn care and landscape and trade industries throughout the U.S. We increase our clients' business acumen by creating business performance transparency through financials and strategic advisement based on industry best practices and benchmarks. Our experienced team provides support, guidance, and coaching, thereby allowing our clients to connect with viable data and discover their own solutions. Core Growth Strategies programs and services are designed to get your business from where it is now to where you have always dreamed it to be. Visit us today at corgrowstrategies.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Don't miss our exclusive limited time podcast special. Just mention promo code GPA Pro to any member of our team during your complimentary consultation or enter the promo code on our site when you sign up for one of our online programs. That's promo code GPA Pro. So we're talking about how long it takes to do things and why we need to be patient with learning. So so after year three, you're in year three. How long have you been in business for, Matt? Um, seven years. Seven years. So bring me from year three to year seven now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So kind of my first big breakthrough was we had a landscaper that it was a referral to us. And he was focusing in on patios. And I've done enough campaigns at that point to have an idea of what would work, what wouldn't work. And we actually worked with some clients outside of construction. So I got some perspective of like what works and what doesn't work outside as well. But we had this landscaper come to us and he really wanted patios. And uh, he didn't have a huge budget actually at the time at all. Um, I think it was only like 700 a month or something like that for ad spend, maybe even a little bit less. But um, what happened was we set up the campaign for him And he actually had some really good pictures and he had some good testimonials. So we set up a campaign for him. And I remember after the first month, we did like a check-in call. And I was like, so like, how did those leads go? Because we, you know, it it, it was working. And he was like, "Um, yeah, man, things are pretty good. Like, I think we made about $10,000 in profit. You know, I landed like two or three jobs, blah, blah, blah. And I remember when he said that, because I wasn't charging much at all back in the day. But I remember when he said that, I was like $10,000 in profit in the first month. And I was like, this, there's something here. Like, I think I just kind of stumbled on something. And that was then when I was like, okay, I can turn this into a case study now. And I think that I can start like showing other landscapers and other contractors this. And that was kind of the start of like contractor marketing and really moving towards doing these ads. Um, for contractors, because before I was just experimenting with everything like emails and ads, and I was doing pretty much anything you could do. Um, and so that was really like the aha moment. And then, you know, the first the first big step was like, okay, now I have a system that works. And I know who I need to like, who, who this is for the solution for. 
The next step now is like, how do I actually start offloading some of my work? Because my next biggest problem was that like I was doing everything, you know, a lot of the the uh, like repeatable stuff, um, a lot of the paperwork, like all the selling, everything, all the delivery. So the first thing that I remember like that, I was like, okay, I need help with this was my bookkeeping and like anything to do with that. Because I still to this day, I'm like awful at that. Very bad at that. Anything to do with like tracking invoices and numbers and blah, 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 all that. So that was the first person that I hired. They're hourly. And, uh, you know, they would help me out with some of my books. And then it just snowballed from there. Um, and I would say like the first real breakthrough was when I hired a VA. Um, and that VA, the reason that I hired them, I remember one night was I was sitting on my couch and for our clients, we would like respond to all of the reviews that they get. And we respond to them and say, hey, like, thanks for leaving this great review. And I remember back in the day, every night I would sit on the couch while watching TV and just respond to every single client review and just be like, hey, thanks a lot for, you know, leaving this great review, blah, blah. And it dawned on me in one moment, I was like, what if I just hired someone to just do this for me? Like, why do, why do I have to do this? And that right. was the VA. That was like where I was like, hey, like, can you do this? And I started realizing other things like that I'm doing every day, like sending off, you know, welcome emails and blah, blah, blah to new clients and these kind of things. And so that was the beginning of when I really started to be like, I need to systemize this. And then I stumbled upon the book E-Myth and that kind of like rolled into, you know, a lot of other systemization. Right. So you're sitting on the couch, you know, answering back on reviews um, that people had sent for your clients. Yeah. Um, so you got help with the bookkeeping first and, you know, I've always had a bookkeeper, uh, even when I started my business, I had a remote, um, like, uh, invoicing service called Blue Jay invoicing and I would do it over the phone and we would meet twice a week, Tuesday and Fridays. And cause I'm not a bookkeeper and I had a, another bookkeeping service. Um, that's not my deal. Keeping track of all the little details. Um, but, and so that was a big help, right? Cause healthy books, one of the things that I really realized when we started Green Profit Academy and work with clients was, you know, I would say 80% of people's books are not properly clean and aligned yeah. correctly. So it's really difficult to kind of help them initially until we get a good clean set of books. Um, yeah. Like they'll have like, so what's not clean, right? So having a negative liability on your balance sheet um, or negative assets, you know, um, mm. negative asset would be a liability. Liability is something you owe, so you can't have a negative liability because then it would be an asset. So just things like that. And the books are just not categorized correctly and everything. So having books that are, you know, really clean help to make really good decisions. But then the VA was another big step for you, you know, taking stuff off your plate and Mm. answering things and getting stuff done, emails, welcome emails and stuff like that. So it lets you focus more on sales Mm -hmm. and developing the creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and then the next kind of big step, I would say, is just having a real sales process. Like at a certain point, I realized that if I'm going to do the same thing every time, like bring a customer client through like this process, it should be airtight. Like it should be good. I should actually like preemptively think about it. Um, so that was when I started to invest in a lot of sales training. And just figure that out, you know, like understand like, okay, from like stranger to 
warming them up to like introduction to blah, blah, blah. Right. And just being able to understand that whole process. Um, that was like very transformational for me too. I think that every entrepreneur should go through some kind of sales training program, just so you have an idea of like how to convey value, um, how to put together proper systems, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. A good sales system is really important. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest parts of a sales system is the follow-up, you know, mm-hmm. um, Sometimes people just give up when they hear no the first time or mm-hmm. the people don't buy the first time they work with them. Sometimes people need to kind of ruminate on what they have, the information. And when that pain point comes up again, they're like, oh, yeah, they said they could help me with that. Mm-hmm. The challenge shows up. They're like, oh, yeah, I could I can get some help with that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's selling is really follow up and that having that real process, the steps and um, revisiting with people. It's interesting. I saw something that only about 3% of our actual available market is ready to buy at any one time. Yeah. So you know, out of 100 people that could really use our products, only 3% are ready to buy at right now. Um, so, yeah. you know, there's 97% that you have to keep uh, kind of educating and everything. I remember there was a consultant I had, I worked with uh, for about 20 years. So I had been reading his material for like seven or eight years before I even had a conversation with him. So yeah. definitely a long game. When the when the pain got great enough is when I when I reached out and, and uh and hired him. But it definitely is a long game. I think one of the fantasies is we're gonna put out an ad or yeah. a Facebook post. And even for lawn care, right? We're gonna run this one ad on Google pay per clicks and all of a sudden we're gonna start getting all this work and that's just not not a reality. So you hired the VA, you have bookkeeper, and now you started building a team. I saw some pictures of your team. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, most businesses, the thing that holds them back from building a team is being able to have their lead gen and sales process in place, right? Because once you have enough leads coming in and you have a system for that and you have sales pretty dialed in, what your next problem is going to be is like, I can't fulfill all this work. So I got to that point where I was like, okay, like I can't really fulfill this work. And so the next step for me was I had a a friend that I grew up with um, since I was like 15 and a super bright guy. And we would always talk about business ideas and such. And I noticed that like around that time, he started doing some e-commerce and like some experiments with marketing and just like he was bouncing ideas off of me. And uh, at that time, then I was like, well, hey, man, like I have some extra work that I can't really take on anymore. Maybe you could help me out with like building out some ads and doing this kind of stuff. So I hired him part time. And then uh, that was uh, he was he was working for me part time. And then he was doing his job on the uh, um, part time as well. And then uh, finally, it came to the point where, you know, Things were growing and there was more and more workload getting to him. And then at that point, he actually asked me like, hey, man, like, would it be okay if I went full time with you? And then that was when I was like, you know what? I think we can make it happen. So then put him on payroll, went full time with me. And that was a pretty scary step because when someone's on payroll, it's different when someone's a contractor, um, right, where they're just invoicing you. And I think in the States, you guys have like a specific word for it, like, Um, We don't have that here, but, um, but when he went full-time with me and was on payroll, that was a bit of a mindset shift for me where I was like, okay, 
this money's coming out every single month. And that was really like the start of me building, you know, a team, like a, a pretty solid team. So now we have, you know, appointment setter, we have um, Fabro, who's a full-time marketer, and then we have a success manager, and then we also have my VA. So, you know, it's like, we're a small team, but it's a team. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. seven years in business and you have this team. Um, so you're seeing growth, you're helping clients. And uh, no, that's awesome. So what has been your biggest surprise? So you go from an entrepreneur, you're running mm. it by yourself, then you get your VA, your bookkeeper. Now you're, you're, you have a sales process, you have a salesperson, a success. Um, and then you have these other team members. So what's big been your biggest lesson from building a team? It's mm, really good. Um, I would say that my biggest lesson with building a team is that you can only systemize things to a certain level. So like you can build out SOPs, standard operating procedures. Like you can SOP things out to a certain point, but there is a level of where you need to actually train someone so that they can have autonomy to be able to make decisions on their own. Because if you just have a team of people who are constantly just following only systems, then whenever anything outside of that system occurs or there's some kind of nuance or something like that, they don't know what to do. So that's where I started realizing that training of how to actually think so you can make decisions autonomously based off of a thinking framework. That for me has been like the biggest challenge, I would say, is realizing that you can't just run a business off of like SOPs alone. You need to actually train people on how to actually have a, a model of thinking. A model of thinking. Interesting, right? Yeah. So understanding what the company mission is and what, what the mission they're serving is, purpose of the company, mm -hmm. the vision and the values. We call it mutable laws. It's really a guiding uh, kind of factor in decision making. And uh, are we serving the mission, vision, purpose and immutable laws? that helps people make decisions like that. But yeah, so, you know, seven years in, you have this team, you're learning how to manage people, how to manage clients, uh, cash flow. Um, there's quite a bit of, uh, you know, things that you're juggling. Um, so you go from marketing guy to uh, entrepreneur to, you know, now leader and developer. And yeah. training. Uh, it's a whole nother skill set that, um, you know, people are not always prepared for, but it sounds like you're really going through it really well. Uh, I'm sure you'll bump into a couple of challenges that will be really good learning opportunities. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. And I think, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing just from your story is how much you line up with the people that I talk to in the lawn care landscape industry. You know, very similar struggles, right? Like you're the only guy, maybe your wife's helping you out or your fiance is helping you out with the books. And then you hire a guy, then you hire maybe another person. Now you have to train them and teach yeah. them and make decisions and talk to customers and fix pumps and all kinds flat tires all kinds of stuff um so so you're at year seven like so what's the future look like for matt tebow in savant market i think the future would be um so i'm a creative person and i do really enjoy doing content like this i like creating content i do like being the leader um, but I'm a little bit more of a visionary. I think you're similar, probably. Um, and so I would say the future um, for Savant Marketing would be 
just getting really great talent on our team to be able to get it to the point where maybe I could be in my zone of genius most of the time. I don't need it to be like all of the time, but you know, maybe 80% of the time where I'm like constantly in my zone of genius. And for me, that would be creating great content and just like leading the company, thinking a little bit more strategically. Um, that's like where I truly love to be. I'm not so much like a fantastic manager. I think I can do it, but I'm not like a great manager. So I think getting to the point where we have some great management in place um, and just like really great talent. Um, you know, a lot of the people that I look up to today, um, you know, I, went, I go to conferences and try and learn from some of the experts in like this industry. And they just say, your people are like number one, you know, like treat your people really great, have fantastic talent. Yeah, you want to have like all these systems and stuff. But really, if you have great people, then that's going to really help the culture and make like a well-oiled machine, you know, that's running without you. Um, you know, so I would say that that's the vision. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I am more visionary. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I need implementers uh, and then I kind of stay out of their way. Right. Give them the mission, vision, purpose, mutable laws, goals and yeah. help help support them with resources and then stay out of their way. Um, all right. So uh, let's get to Savant Marketing. Like share w one really nice success story you've had working with a client. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, one that we are really proud of is uh, so we have a local client here and he's a fencing contractor. And before working with us, he was dabbling a little bit with marketing. So he was doing like a little bit of SEO. Um, just like kind of here and there, you know, door hangers and such, but never had like a real system in place um, for marketing. And we actually did a lot of work with his brother um, earlier. If you go on our website, like he's one of the testimonials on there. Um, so he referred him to us. And when he came to us, you know, he was like, I don't really know much about marketing, but I've got this business. I think he was doing about a million dollars a year with his fencing company. And he was saying, um, you know, if we could get to 1.6 this year, that would be like a great goal. You know, I would love to be able to do that. Um, and so I asked him, I said, out of all the fencing that you're doing, what for you is your primary profit maker? That's what we like to focus on. He was saying, for us, PVC fences, we have a great supplier for that. We make a great profit on that. I enjoy doing it. It's easy to warranty. It lasts, blah, blah, blah. So he was like, I'd really like to focus on that. So we built this whole campaign based around PVC fencing, and we implemented that for the whole year. So we did from in, in Ottawa, Canada, we, we get snow pretty much from like November until like March, April kind of thing. So we launched around April, and then we ran it all the way up to November. And within that time frame, we did 575 thousand dollars in sales directly from the campaign wow. um, from the leads and everything um it was a really cool campaign because not only was the lead flow on point but we were working with him and his sales systems were great like he he was the one who was taking a lot of the calls he was only like completely on sales and then he had a great crm all his follow-up was really great um, so that's one that like, hopefully soon we'll have the testimonial on the site and he'll talk a little bit more about it. But that was an example of like something that we we're really proud of where, you know, somebody who's kind of not really have the marketing systems in place, 
we implement it. And then it's like a great marriage between the sales systems and the marketing, you know? Right. Yeah. That's a great, great share. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So he hit the, those goals are pretty close to hitting those goals. Um, plus what he, what he was already doing. So um, for lawn care and landscape businesses, you know, one of our biggest challenges is that again, it's that short season, eight, eight months, nine months, uh, especially in the Northeast, maybe the rest of the country, it's a little longer, Alabama, Florida. So there's a little bit maybe of a different approach depending on what we're trying to sell and everything. So what do you see is the biggest challenge for uh, contractors in the mindset of marketing? I would say um, the biggest challenge for a lot of contractors with the mindset of marketing would be that marketing is kind of like a faucet where it's like you turn it on when you need leads, you get the leads and then you turn it off. You know, typically marketing is the easiest thing to turn off and on, right? Because like people just call us up and be like, hey, like this marketing, you know, like let's like pause it for now. We're super busy, blah, 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 this kind of thing. So I would say like the biggest challenge for a lot of contractors is that they kind of turn marketing on, they run it for a little bit, and then they turn it off. And depending based on your season, you know, maybe sometimes it could make sense to do a little bit less marketing or a little bit more at a certain time. But in my opinion, you should never completely just turn it off. Um, and I would say that that's kind of the biggest mindset challenge that we kind of have to work with clients to just be like, hey, like, you can turn off this aspect of it, but you should never stop marketing, period. Because marketing is a lot like farming. Like you want to be able to constantly be farming leads, working leads, and being able to bring in new leads at any given time. And so that's what I would say. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, too. Um, the only thing I would definitely the other thing I would say is um, they think it's going to be quicker. Um, then, then, uh, it really takes like, right. Cause you have yeah. early adopters, late adopters, mid adopters. So not everybody who sees your ads and your marketing is an early adopter and only 3% of the market is ready to buy right now, regardless yeah. of what you're selling. Um, but yeah, that mindset of, right. They're just going to turn it on and off. So they turn it on and they expect these great results and and they shut it off and it's a long game. Marketing is a long game. I typically, yeah. uh, you know, again, my thousand days, if I'm going to run a campaign, I'll typically look for a thousand days. Otherwise yeah. I won't, won't do it. Uh, and again, it's that early, mid and late adopter um, in your market. Um, so yes, that, that's a good mindset, right? About not being consistent with it for a yeah. long period of time. And just, just to piggyback there, Steve, a little bit on your last, you know, you were saying like, there's a small market of people who are ready to go right now. I would say that that's also a little bit of a, a mindset uh, misconception is that a lot of contractors are like, well, I only want the serious leads. Like I only want the leads that are serious. I don't want any tire kickers. Um, and so that term tire kickers, you know, a lot of contractors will think like if they're on the phone with someone and they're not ready to go right now, oh, this guy's just a tire kicker type thing. Right. But it kind of goes back to your point is that at a certain level, when you're doing advertising, you're getting all these leads, you can focus in on the smallest segment of leads, which are ready to go right now. But those are the most expensive leads that you can acquire. And there's the most competition for them because every contractor wants those people. So you could also, so you can go after those people, but you can also start going after, you know, the other 97% or whatever it is. 
and start farming those leads and, and, and really warming them up, nurturing them, following up with them. And that is where marketing, you can really bring it to another level. Yeah. And I think that, it, right, that's the next step of marketing. We call it our reject list, you know, mm. um, and it's people that have inquired at some point, but didn't buy. And you can keep farming that farming, right? Because now all of a sudden you're the only person in the arena for that. And, you know, we do close a certain percentage of that reject um, list every year. Um, but we just keep farming. Yeah. And that's the thing I think about sales. Um, you know, people are, they give up too easy. They quit. No means, you know, no now doesn't mean no forever. You know, there's a, there's a saying for people who are religion, God's delay is not God's denial. And, and, uh, so sometimes we're just not ready for things. We don't know it, but somebody else knows it. So sometimes that person is just not ready right now for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Um, but they, they will be ready at some point. So that's why I think you have to keep in front of people on a really consistent basis for a long period of time. I was at an event the other night and, um, I was talking to someone and he hired us just cause he saw my, I have a nice white Mustang. That's all, you know, decaled up and everything. It's not a full wrap, but it's decaled. It looks really cool. He's like, when I came time to choose a lawn care company, I could not not choose you because of that Mustang. I kept That's seeing cool. it because uh, we live in the same same side of town, sort of. Wow. And so he's like, it was just like, but, you know, that was like, he's like, I, I saw it for three years before I even thought wow. to call you. So it's just one of those things you have to keep showing up in your community. The other, the other thing, especially for contractors, is that, you know, with communities, we live in small communities, basically, like we're in a we're in a tight area. It's not the worldwide web. Right. So we're not trying to get customers all over the country. We're pretty much in a geographical lock of some some mm-hmm. dimension. So being really present in that whole area and not just, um, you know, in, in a one dimensional concept. Yeah is another thing, which is, it's another level of marketing. Um, and uh, it's interesting when we used to run newspaper inserts, which is, a, it's going, we used to run like a half a million inserts. Um, the first year, if we went to a new market, it was very dismal. The second year we would triple um, mm. turn on that because now we're not, it's not the first time they've seen it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just knowing that. And then the third year it would be a little bit less than the second year. We always knew the first year would always be the worst because they didn't mm. seen us. They didn't know anything about us. So being patient with some of that is uh, is really important. The other part of marketing, I think that is almost never talked about or is like missed is you know about a third, uh, almost forty percent of our marketing budget is to our existing and past clients. Mm-hmm. So nurturing those relationships because they're seven times more likely to buy from us than a brand new person that's never heard of us. So yeah. really nurturing, you know, the existing and past client list, um, showing up in front of them in education, not always pitching them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the most expensive thing you can do in business is acquiring a new customer. Right. And so many contractors are focused on like new customer, new customer, new customer. A lot of the times what we do, like before we start with a client of campaigns, we'll say, do you have a list of past prospects? Like, do you have someone that we uh, like a list of people that have like you were saying rejected a quote or maybe never you never fully delivered one like they said they were interested blah 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 and then we can do a reactivation campaign to them and just say like hey are you still interested in this because i would say a lot of contractors are kind of notorious for like 
someone will say, can you follow up with me in like two months about this? I'm not ready. I need to think about it. And then they'll just kind of give a business card to them and say, yeah, call me when you're ready. But that moment usually doesn't come. So, you know, you need to follow up and be proactive about it. Yeah. Yeah. The follow-up is the key. Like it increases your sales by 50%. I was working with a company a few weeks ago and uh, they wanted to increase all their marketing. We looked at their closing ratio and the sales, it was like 24%. So they had enough leads. It's just their sales process wasn't wasn't really thorough. And the big, I would say, hole in their game was the yeah. follow-up and the follow-through. Um, you know, and I, I kind of kid, you know, when they would send an email quote and, you know, what does an email quote sound like? Right. It's just silence. So yeah. I was encouraging them to call up the people, emailing them while they're on the phone and then open up the email yeah. uh, while the people are on the phone and going over that as opposed to just you send the email. You're hoping and praying that they got it, opened it amongst their other 150 emails they got that week um yeah. so that follow-up is so huge in in all um all marketing and in sales 100 uh, yeah it's where the where the next level is so we just we're improving their sales system and their follow-up um so there's like people that are really hunters they're like hunting type of sales people yeah. and then there's like nurturing type of sales people um yeah. so we have to identify who we are and who's on our team that can be the nurturer and who, mm. the hunter because it's hard to get the hunter to slow down enough um, mm. to be the nurturer. That's really good. I like that. Uh, so super important stuff. So um, Savant Marketing, you help, you know, not only lock, landscape lawn care companies. Uh, I know you do remodelers, roofers, any kind of contractor, because we're all really we're almost working with the same exact client. Yeah, it's pretty similar, the campaign, unless like, you know, there's, uh, you know, like some types of niches maybe are a little bit less like beautification element to it. You know, like, for example, like um, solar energy is very different than like lawn care because like solar doesn't really look that great. It's more of the benefits that you get from like, you know, your your house having like better energy efficiency. Whereas lawn, it's like people are after that, like kind of beautiful green looking lawn, you know, but for the most part, you know, we have a system that we tailor and customize for each client slightly, but the framework is pretty similar. So as long as they're residential, that's kind of the, the type of client that we like to work with commercial. Our solutions can't really help a commercial contractor as much. Right. So if you're selling a residential um, homeowners, you know, and you want to build a really solid campaign. Um, you can work with Matt and his team. We're going to put uh, his link, his information in the show notes. So Matt, share your takeaway from today's podcast with me. I would say that my takeaway, you know, I was saying before, I've never had someone ask me about my entrepreneurial journey. Um, so I see that my takeaway is just like, entrepreneurship isn't easy. Like people are, con we're constantly inundated with Facebook ads and all of this kind of propaganda that says like, you can start a business and it'll be successful in six months. But I think, you know, it's important to recognize that entrepreneurship is a journey. Like it's a 10 year journey. That's, uh, you know, someone told me a long time ago, I can't remember who it was, but they said, just commit to 10 years with your business. Just make that commitment and like, pre-negotiate it in your mind. I'm going to stick to this business for 10 years and I'm going to give it a solid runway. And I think that it's inevitable you're going to be successful if you have that mindset.
Yes. Yeah, so long-term thinking, um, it's you're going to have some bumps in a road. It's not going to be linear. Uh, and it's just a learning uh, journey, really, the entrepreneurship. It takes a heart uh, to really, you know, the, it takes a warrior to kind of make that through that, you know, a big heart and a, and a lot of encouragement. And, you know, yeah. our family supports us. Our friend supports us, even if they don't understand really what and why we're doing it. Why would you go through that if you don't have to? Uh, it's just intrinsically who we are. We want that challenge. You want to climb that entrepreneurial mountain. So um, I appreciate that insight. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for joining us. And uh, we'll have all his information. And uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks for listening to the Green Profit Academy Pros Podcast. The show that digs into the challenges of growing a lawn care and landscape business while maximizing your profit. Mm-hmm.